0: following content is derived from the preaching ministry of Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Oldham County, Kentucky, and is reproduced here for the benefit of its members. We exist to treasure and spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ in all things for the joy of all peoples, and we pray that God's grace among us would spread beyond us to the benefit of anyone who happens to listen. For more information about our church, go to ashlandoc.org. Thanks for listening. Please open up your Bibles this morning to the book of John, chapter 14. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7, a million voices. John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. As we continue to look at the I Am statements of Jesus from John's Gospel. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. I want to invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of God's perfect and holy word. God has spoken to us, God is speaking to us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. If you had known Me, you would have known My Father also. From now on, you know Him and have seen Him. Let's pray. Father, teach us what it means to live trusting in the One who is the way and the truth and the life give us ever greater confidence that no one comes to the Father except through Him. And may Jesus be our single-minded passion. The One to whom we are devoted above all else so that our hearts may not be troubled. Give us confidence in you, confidence in your word, confidence in the gospel that saves us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. To an outsider, Charles Haddon Spurgeon had it all. He had the largest church in the world. It was so big that they had to build a brand new building to house all the people who were coming to London to hear him preach. They built the Metropolitan Tabernacle. It held thousands. They even had room there for a thousand more standing room only. In the course of his ministry, thousands of people were converted. Not only from his live preaching, but also... From his sermons, which would be printed and translated and distributed all around the world. He wrote best-selling books. Sermons were celebrated far and wide. On top of that, out of his church, there was a ministry where they built orphanages, almshouses. They had a college for pastors. They had a publishing house. They planted new churches. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a celebrity pastor in Victorian England. Think about that. Before the internet, everybody knew who he was. He was celebrated far and wide, and on top of all that, he had a devoted wife and faithful children, two sons who followed him in ministry. Charles Haddon Spurgeon seems to have had it all. And yet, on May 20th, 1866, Spurgeon preached a sermon. And he stood before those thousands of people and he said these words I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. I am the subject of depressions of spirit he says, before his church. And that wasn't just a one-time thing. It is known that Spurgeon battled depression for the entirety of his life. It would come and go, oftentimes with no clear reason, no clear cause. In a later sermon, he said these words, quite involuntarily, unhappiness of mind, depression of spirit, and sorrow of heart will come upon you. You may be without any real reason for grief, and yet may become among the most unhappy of men because for the time your body has conquered your soul. He said, I don't really know the reason for it. Sometimes our bodies just take over our souls and we get down we get troubled we're racked with anxiety we get depressed maybe you're here today and you can relate to this whether you've ever experienced such depths or not every single one of us has at least can at least resonate with what Jesus says in John 14:1 let not your hearts be troubled we all know what it's like to experience heart trouble, every one of us, that feeling that things just aren't quite okay, that not everything's going right, that maybe we're worried about something, maybe we're down about something, maybe there's just this feeling from living in this world that things aren't going to be okay. You know, one of the things that we have to reckon with, church, is that Jesus never one time promises us that following him means that our troubles are going to vanish. Did you know that? In fact, if anything, he says that if you follow me, you're actually going to have unique troubles that you probably would not have had otherwise. He says this in John 16:33, "In this world you will have tribulation." He's talking to his followers there. My point this morning is just this. Christians can get depressed too. Christians can struggle with anxiety too. Christians have heart trouble. Jesus acknowledges it at the very beginning of our passage. Let not your hearts be troubled. It's possible, but that's only half the story. Because here's the other part that I want you to really get just as much as you get the first part. Yes, you can get depressed. Yes, you can be anxious. Yes, your heart can be troubled. But understand this, Christian, you also have available to you comfort through Jesus, that nobody else has. And that's what this passage is about. So the first thing that I want you to see in verses 1 through 3 is the cure for troubles. The cure for troubles. And let's look at these words again. Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, I hope you know by now that these chapter divisions, Jesus didn't put them there. You know, Jesus didn't say, all right, guys, I'm going to start chapter 14 now. And so in the context of John, we know that Jesus is speaking into a conversation that's already going on, and we only have to back up a few verses to see what's happening. Look with me in chapter 13, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So, So what's happening? What's happening is that Jesus is beginning to relay the information that He is not going to be with them much longer. Jesus is aware of the cross. He knows that His mission was to die for His people, and His followers don't yet have a context for understanding that. So Jesus is telling them, look, I'm not going to be here much longer. And they're freaking out about it. I think that's hard for us to understand because we always read the Bible with like all the information available to us, you know? Like we know how the story ends. Like we know the resurrection, we know that Jesus is ascended, we know that Jesus is going to return, we know that he was just going to die for our sins to save us, but they didn't know any of that. And so it's really hard for us to understand the inner turmoil that they must have been experiencing when they hear Jesus, the one they knew, had come to save them, say to them, Hey, I'm leaving you soon. It must have been about as hard. It must have been harder than maybe. I was trying to think of a comparison. I mean, imagine a father telling his child, Hey, there's a war being fought and I need you to know that I'm going to the front lines. I'll probably never return. So they experience abandonment. They're experiencing doubt. They're experiencing everything they've been assuming is now being turned on its head. And then Jesus says to them, but listen, let not your hearts be troubled. Why? Look at what he says next. Believe in God Believe also in Me. Or if you want a better translation here, this is Jesus saying, Trust in God. Trust also in Me. Trust Me. Trust Me. I'm leaving you, but the solution to your heart trouble is to trust Me. Trust that I'm still for you. Trust that what's about to happen isn't as bad as you think. That that maybe what you're about to feel doesn't counter all the promises I've made to you. The appearances aren't reality. Your feelings are not reality. You need to trust me right now. Because it's about to get hard to do that. Now there's this this tendency that I've seen in recent times where we kind of get dismissive of things like this. There's this, kind of, there's this whole culture now where when somebody's experiencing pain and heart trouble, we're hesitant to offer them advice, you know? You even hear people say, I don't need you to tell me things. I need you just to listen to me, which is true, by the way. We do. We do need to listen because you can't speak unless you do listen. If, you don't, if you're not listening, you can't speak, but you know Jesus is listening and yet he tells them, I want you to do something. I need you to trust me. Now certainly you can go too far with this. I've heard people say things or give, give off the sense that, you know, well, if you just had more faith, you wouldn't be depressed. Have You ever heard of that kind of simplistic solution? Well, if you just had more faith, you wouldn't be feeling that heart trouble. Jesus isn't saying that here. That's not his point. I want to remind you that we have a Savior who was in inner turmoil. What Spurgeon says is mental depression in the Garden of Gethsemane. In complete agony. Would you have gone up to Jesus in Gethsemane and said, You know, Jesus, if you just trusted God a little bit more, you wouldn't be experiencing this. Of course not. That would be absurd. Jesus didn't lack faith. In Gethsemane, your lack of faith is not always the reason for your depression. There are bodily reasons we get depressed. There are all kinds of reasons that we get depressed. And so hear me. Lack of faith may not be the cause of your anguish, but more faith is always part of the solution. Do you hear that? Because what does Jesus do in Gethsemane? What do we learn from Him there? Jesus is in agony. And Jesus immediately begins to pray. And Jesus says what? Nevertheless, not my will but Yours be done. God, this is tormenting me. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But I am going to trust You. Nevertheless, not my will be done but Yours. In Jesus' hour of heart trouble, He turns to the Father with radical trust. And Jesus tells us here that that is what He wants us to do too. Look at what He wants these people, these disciples to trust. Verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. So so he's, He's giving them language that they will understand. There's a place for you. I'm going to my Father's house. There's many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself that where I am you may be also. So here's the promise. Look, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving for you. I'm leaving for your good. I'm going away from you Ultimately, to bless you. I'm going away from you to prepare a place for you because in my Father's house, there's enough room for everybody. And you have a place there and I'm making a way for you to get there. Jesus is about to die on the cross. He's preparing a place for us in God's house through His death. And that's what He wants them to know. What he's saying to them is don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust trust the Father. Trust in me also. Believe that even when you can't see me, I'm still working for you. Church, we need to hear that. Even when you can't see him, he is still working for you. Even when you can't feel him, he is still working for you. Even when everything in this world blocks your vision of him, know that he is still working for you. He wants us to trust Him. I want to kind of split off from this for a second. I want to talk a little bit about trust. I want to give you three truths this morning that if you're going to trust God, you need to know these three truths about trust. Okay. Here's the first one. To trust Christ, you must know Christ. To trust Christ, you must know Christ. You know this is true, right? If you, if you went to Walmart, what's the sketchiest one I know? Westport Road. So you go to the Westport Road Walmart and you walk in and this man walks up to you and says, hey, come get in my truck. Are you going to do it? Well, listen, if you are going to do it, I'll hear it from me this morning, don't do it. Don't get in his truck. Now, now, why wouldn't we get in his truck? Because we don't know him. Now, if it was your granddad, right, that would be completely different. You have know, granddad, you know, yes, let's go. I know you, I trust you. We know that trusting people requires knowing people, right? We don't trust people unless we know about them or we've heard about them from other people. We have to know to trust. So let me ask you this morning what do we know about Jesus? What do we know about Jesus, church? We know who He is, we know that He's the Good Shepherd. We know that He's the resurrection and the life. We know that He's the sinless Son of God. We know that He's the one who created all things. We know that He loves us. We know that He's our friend, our leader, our king, our Lord, our guide. We know what He's done for us. We know that even in torment in the garden, when he said, let this cup pass from me, if it be possible, he still drank it. The cup of God's wrath on the cross to save us. We know Jesus. We know him intimately. We know because we just heard the other week when he taught us about when he, the passage about him being our shepherd, that we know him with the very same knowledge that He shares with the Father. He has invited us in to know Him intimately, to have a relationship with Him, an eternal union of faith. We know Him. So how do I trust Him then? Well, In order to trust Him, you need to make sure that you are knowing Him consistently. If you're going to trust Him you have to be in communion with Him. If you're going to trust Him, are you meditating on Him? Are you communicating with Him? Because you're going to have a hard time trusting Him when the the waters get chaotic in your life if you're not in communion with Him relationally. So if I'm going to trust Him, I've got to know Him. and You need to ask this question. Is your life right now prioritizing knowing Jesus because if it's not don't think for a second that you're going to trust him is my life prioritizing my relationship with him am i focused on knowing him is that is that the goal of my life to know him to know him more but here's the second thing i want us to know if you're going to trust Trusting Christ requires distrust. What do I mean by this? Well, there is a million voices in the world telling you all kinds of things that are contradictory to what Jesus tells you. There are a million voices, and some of them are openly hostile. You know? Those are easy to pick out. Some of them clearly contradict what Jesus would say to you, but some of them aren't. Some of them are well-intentioned, well-meaning people. I'll never forget there was a certain time in my life where I was struggling with vocational distrust. And what I mean by that is I, was, I had been kind of in, in Ashland as a minister for about a decade doing work but I still had not reached where I wanted to be. I wanted to be a pastor, and I wasn't a pastor yet. And so there was this war for a period of time in my soul between resting in Christ and trusting Him as my shepherd, and then over here thinking, Well, I'm ready to get there. I'm ready to get there. I'm ready to get there. And I can remember so many times well intentioned, God loving people saying things to me like, When are you going to be a pastor? I'd go home and visit my family for Thanksgiving and my, my loving family, I love them so much, sometimes they'd say, when are you going to get your own church? You know, like you're not successful, buddy, until you get your own thing. And look, those people love me and they meant well. They had no idea that those words were not words that were helping me in those moments. And sometimes other voices come in like that. But you know what it often is, church? It's often our own inner voice, our own feelings, our own gut, our own intuition. So often how we feel has an over, plays an oversized role in what we believe is reality in any given moment. If I feel a certain way, then how I feel, that is the reality of my life right now. And I just need you to know, church, that how you feel is not the definition of what reality is. Martin Lloyd-Jones, another British pastor, once wrote this. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? I'm going to read it again. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? What's he saying? He's saying that so often we are unhappy Because we allow how we feel to impact our perspective on everything. And so instead of talking the truth to myself, I listen to how I feel. I am in a passive relationship with my feelings. I wake up and I obey them. I wake up and if I experience pain, then the pain that I experience is going to color everything about my day. My heart trouble. What he's saying is, you don't just talk to yourself, you preach the gospel to yourself. You preach the truth to yourself. We remind ourselves of what Christ has come, what Christ has done, the glorious truths of the gospel. And we talk. We recognize, church, that trust is an active daily choice. Faith is not something that you had when you were six, when you walked the aisle and got baptized, and it just kind of lays there dormant in your life until Jesus comes back. Faith is to be exercised daily. We wake up and we decide again, I am not going to live on lies today. I am going to trust Christ today. Yesterday's faith is not enough to sustain me. I need to believe the gospel right now. I need to believe the gospel today. I need to repent and believe day by day by day by day because Jesus is my only hope. Trusting Christ requires distrust. And then here's the third. You can grow your trust in Christ. You say, well, I just don't have a lot of faith. Well, you know, gloriously, listen, from everything we can gather from what Jesus tells us in the New Testament, the smallest amount of faith is enough to save you. Isn't that good news? Like a mustard seed? I don't even, I've never seen a mustard seed. I imagine it's small. I deal mainly in sunflower seeds in my life, that's pretty small too. I think a mustard seed is supposed to be smaller. And yet Jesus says it's enough. Now why is a mustard seed enough? Because it's not faith that saves you, but it's the one you put your faith in. And so even a mustard seed of faith and a completely sufficient Savior is enough to save you. That's amazing. You have one person in the the New Testament who says, "Help! I believe, but help my unbelief, and he's saved. That's really good news, isn't it? But while, listen, while a mustard seed of faith is enough to save you, that doesn't mean we should be content with a mustard seed of faith. We should want more faith. We should want our faith to grow. We should have a desire for our faith, just to use some of the language that the New Testament uses to describe it, to want our faith refined and tested to the point of endurance. So that we have enough faith to endure even when trials come our way. Even when times get hard. Especially when times get hard. Even when we are experiencing trouble of heart. We can grow. We we don't have to remain weak in faith. Jesus can become our life-consuming passion. And we should want that. So that's the cure. And then in verses 4 through 7, we see the way to the cure. The way to the cure. Look at verse 4. So Jesus tells them, we're returning to the text now. You know, after he tells them where he's going, that's good for them to trust him. He says, And you know the way where I am going. He's going to the Father, he's going to the place of eternal life. He's going to their destiny. And he says, and you know the way where I'm going. And then I love Thomas's response. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? We don't even know where you're going. <laughs> we don't even know. How would I know the way? I don't even know where. Aren't you glad that the disciples were there? To ask all the stupid questions that we would have asked if we would have been there. I mean, isn't that what's going on? Like, we like, we we love to read the Bible and be like, I would have never said that, you idiot. But, like, I hope you don't read the Bible that way because you are Thomas. You are the man. So am I. We're so much like Thomas. Thomas voices all the doubts that we have, Jesus says, look, you have everything you need. And Jesus is always telling us that. Everything in the Bible, Jesus is saying, you've got everything you need. You've got everything you need. I've done it all. It is finished. Everything you need has been provided for you. And yet, we are always the people doubting that. Like, I just, if I just had that, if I just had that, if I, Jesus, if you would just give me this, then everything in my life would go the way it's supposed to go. Jesus is constantly telling us, that we have everything we need, and we are constantly living our lives as if we don't. And that's what's happening here. The problem with Thomas here, the problem with us, is that very often we don't want what Jesus gives us. We want something different. I think often what we want is a formula, a methodology, a technique. Jesus, if you would just tell us exactly what's going to happen and then give me like the road map and the five steps, then I'll be fine. Give me some control over this situation. And Jesus never does that because Jesus says, I'm not going to let you settle for a formula or a methodology or a technique when I'm giving you something infinitely better than that. So what does Jesus give us? Look at verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. So what was Jesus doing when He told Thomas, you know the way? And Thomas said, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus is saying, Thomas, you know the way because you know Me. Church, you know the way Because you know Jesus. He is the way. He is the methodology and the formula and the technique. But He's not any of those things because He's a person. He's the way. He's the exclusive way. Do you see that there? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no, listen, just so there's no doubt what we believe at this church. Listen to me. There is no other way to be saved but through Jesus. Period. No exceptions. And why is that true? What's well, true? Clearly because Jesus tells us it's true but it's also true theologically because there is no other way to have your sins paid for but through what Jesus did to pay for them. How can you be reconciled to God but through Jesus? We have to have our sins paid for. We have to have a way of righteousness that Jesus provided for His people. There's no other way the necessity of the cross. Listen, we're sinners. Our sin deserves the wrath of God. A just God will punish sin. But a merciful God has provided a way for us to have our sins paid for and judged at the same time. Our, our sins paid for and for us to be forgiven at the same time. Because Jesus takes our sins upon Himself. So that when He says it is finished, He's talking about all of our sins. It is finished, it's paid for. The debt's fully paid. You can be saved. There's no other way. This is the only way. But but he says he's not on the way, he's the truth. He he embodies the supreme revelation of God. Do you want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. Jesus is God's full self disclosure. The fullness of all of God's revelation is found in Jesus Christ. But not only is he the truth, he's also the life. He is the origin of life. John tells us in John 1 that he created all things. But not only is he the origin of life, he is also the founder of eternal life through his resurrection. His resurrection is the first fruits of our resurrection. There's no resurrection unless Jesus is resurrected. And so he's the life, he's, he's everything we need. It, in fact, if you, if you want to just really get specific, what Jesus is saying here is, I am the way and the truth and the life. And what he means is, I am the way because I am the truth and the life. These things are all connected. One commentator I read this week said, as a paraphrase of this, I am a way there, I am the way there, and I am the truth that will lead you on the way there, and I am the life that will give you the power to follow the truth along the way there. And so Jesus doesn't give us a formula. He doesn't give us a methodology. He doesn't give us a technique because He gives us Himself. And He's all we need, church. I don't know if any of you are golf fans, but the Masters is coming up. It's probably the one time I will sit down on my couch and watch golf a year. But I had the chance to go to Augusta National Golf Course this past year. And I know you're getting ready for me to tell you about some fancy invitation and me getting to play. That's not what happened. I delivered furniture to Augusta National Golf Course for my father-in-law. And when I got there, my father-in-law said, You need to call this guy. And so I called him. And uh, he said, I will meet you at the gate. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so I say at the gate, and he comes, he says, Follow me. I was like, All right. So He followed me where I was supposed to go. I mean, left here, right here, left here, right here. You know, it was really confusing. If he would have given me directions, it would have been really bad. And then when I got done, I was like, all right, man, I'll be seen. He goes, no, 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 no. You're going to follow me out. And I was like, whoa, this is serious. And then he said, yeah, listen, the last idiot that came ended up at the wrong gate. And security and the cops had to come. It was terrible. And I said, was it a dark Egyptian-looking guy (laughs) named Joe Abelgani? (laughs) And he said, yeah. (laughs) You see, Joe had delivered furniture from my father-in-law the week before. (laughs) And apparently Joe had gotten lost and ended up on the wrong place, and this place is on, like, total lockdown, like trespassers beware. Pretty sure there's snipers in the 18th hole grandstand or something. And Joe has no sense of direction. He still has to put, I live across the street, and he has to put it in Google Maps to walk over. (laughs) And so the guy was like, look, I'm not going to even give you directions. You are going to follow me, and I'm going to show you every day. And I was thinking this week about this passage, and, you know, it's, It's very similar to what Jesus is doing with us. He doesn't give us a map. He doesn't give us step-by-step directions. He says, you've got to just follow me every day. Just follow me one day at a time. You don't know where you're going. And I can't explain it. It's way too complex for you. But if you will just follow me, there's going to be times where I carry you. But if you will just follow me, that's what you're called to do, church. Listen to me. There is not a formula in the world. There is not a book at Amazon that will help you, besides the Bible, that will get you where you need to go. You just follow Jesus every day. That's the formula. Follow Him. Trust Him. You want to advance as a Christian? Become passionate about Jesus. You want to advance as a Christian? Listen, when when you're dead and gone, somebody will speak at your funeral, and you know what they'll talk about? They'll talk about what your greatest passion was. You know why they'll talk about what your greatest passion was? Because your passion will ultimately define your life. I don't know about you, church, but when they speak at my funeral... I want them to talk about Jesus. I want Jesus to be my passion. And that's what He's calling us to do. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Is Christ your passion? Is He your way? Is He your truth? Is He your life? Is your greatest desire in your life to know Him more? To trust Him more? To follow Him more? To love Him more? To worship Him more? Throw away your step-by-step guide. Throw away your desire for a methodology and follow Jesus every single day. Become obsessed with Jesus. That's the way forward. It's the only way forward. Charles Spurgeon. This is a quote from Spurgeon. If Christ is not all to you, He is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part Savior to men. If He be something, He must be everything. And if He be not everything, He is nothing to you. If Jesus isn't everything, He is nothing. He won't be part Savior. He'll be all or He'll be nothing. And then in verse 7, Jesus says, If you had known Me, And he he does this throughout, John. We've seen it almost in every passage we've looked at. If you had known me, you would have known my Father, right? Because if you know me, you know the Father. We are connected. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. What does he mean? He says, I just told you I'm the way. And so if you know me, you know him. So from now on, don't, don't, don't be unconfident that you don't know the Father. Because if you know me, you know the Father. And you know everything you need to know. I remember when Nikki and I brought Eden and Elias home from Uganda. I remember it was the first summer, and it was really weird because, you know, we were trying to teach them to swim, and it, it was weird because we were when we were in Uganda that we went swimming, and they would both try to drown themselves. They would just jump into a pool, mouths open, deep in, didn't matter. But then when we got here, you know, I thought, well, this is going to be easy because they're not afraid of anything, and Eden particularly. Was just terrified. In fact, I would hold her out into the deep water, you know, it was up to my chin, and I would say, Listen, I'm gonna let you go, and I want you to do this, and I promise you, you will not sink. And I would let her go, and she would just immediately sink like lead because she was freaking out, (gasps) you know, like breathing in water, and I would grab her and, like, Listen to me. And I remember this frustration of, like, You've got to listen. Just trust me. Trust me. If you will just trust me, I won't let you sink. Eventually, she learned to trust me. Eventually, she learned to swim. But that image of her in the pool has always stuck out to me when I think about what it means to trust Jesus. Because that is us. That's what Jesus is saying to us. That's the battle that we face every single day. When we look out at the world and we see all of the reasons to freak out and Jesus is sitting in front of us all the time saying, if you'll trust me, I won't let you sink. If you will trust me, I will hold you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me.